The Deviation Podcast. Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and today I have John Carmichael with me over the phone, actually. We are FaceTiming, um, and he is probably one of the most extraordinary photographers I've ever had the pleasure of virtually meeting. Um, we were actually just talking about how how I would introduce him today because he has, I mean, he has a number of titles. He does a lot of really interesting things, and he has some of the most fascinating stories I've I've ever heard, um, and I don't I don't say that lightly, in the slightest. And yeah, so I'm super excited you're here. Thank you so much for being willing to do this with me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paige. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, we haven't met in person before, but <laughs> we're FaceTiming right now, so that helps. Um, yeah, and um, whoever's listening, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll just see wherever this conversation takes us. Absolutely. So for who's ever listening, if you know Joan Nold or you listen to her interview, she's the uh, co-founder of Labs for Liberty, which is an organization that trains service dogs to be gifted to military veterans. She actually knows John and she had reconnected with him and, um, they talked, I think she said for, for something around four hours or something like that. <laughs> it was a long conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and she, somehow I came up and she thought that John would be this amazing fit for what I'm trying to do with this podcast in regards to inspiring people and, um, talking about important issues and bringing compassion and understanding to people who have lived different lives than you have. Um, and so then him and I connected and she was totally right. I mean, you're, you're kind of incredible, you know, just, just a little. <laughs> well, I, I mean, th- that's very sweet. I don't, well, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to take compliments well, but I, I'm really grateful that you do this podcast and I just listened to Joan's podcast and it's funny, I met her over 10 years ago when I first started doing photography and I learned so much about her that I didn't know so it's it's really nice to I think storytelling is really powerful and it wasn't until recently that I realized that that's all I've been doing with photography is storytelling and uh, it's only in the last year or so that I've been really uh, speaking more uh, about my images instead of just having the images there Um, yeah so thanks for having me well, I'm glad you're doing that because based on the few stories I've heard about your images, they're, I mean, the stories are almost just as great as the images themselves. They just kind of bring it all to the next level. But going into going into all that, um, I'd like to start way before photography started happening. And I kind of just like to hear, I'd love to ask you about I, whew, well, English is difficult. Um, I'd love to hear your life story and just understand where it is you came from, how it is you've become who you are, where you want to go in the future. If we could just start maybe from square one. Sure. Uh, uh, my life's... Oh, okay. It's a it's huge question. Long, <laughs> um, uh, and 
long and very vulnerable, which I'm totally open to being vulnerable. I think uh, that's vulnerability is also very powerful. And uh, here also hearing Joan's incredible story too. Um, if anybody hasn't listened to that, you should. Um, she's such an amazing woman. Her family's awesome. And anyway, so uh, uh, for me, um, uh, I grew up in Las Vegas, which I know sounds very weird. I um, and no, I did not live in a hotel growing up. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people still ask me, like, "Do you have to live in a hotel?" And it's like, no, two million people live there. There's oh, it's like gosh. a normal town outside of the strip. <laughs> it's just one road, you know. But it is a, it is really weird. They have slot machines inside all all of the gas stations, and uh, even the grocery stores have slot machines in them. Um, and you know, my parents growing up gambled a lot, so. I guess the older I get and the more I live in New York City now and I've traveled all over the place and the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, Vegas is a little weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of weird. But, um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it, Vegas is surprisingly, um, uh, there's it's a huge uh, Mormon community there, very big Mormon community. Um, as well as Christian, you know, a lot of different religions there. It's, it's, it's really a melting pot of a lot of places. So I think uh, I was introduced to a lot of different cultures, being from Vegas. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I guess I'll just get right into it. My uh, Probably the most difficult time I went through was uh, I used to be a youth pastor for a Christian, Christian organization and uh, for a ministry and uh, I uh, came out of the closet. Um, I was struggling internally so much that I, it was uh, too hard uh, just keeping it to myself. And so I finally decided to be honest about who I was and confide in people I trusted. And um, uh, it's a very long story, but it was a very rough coming out. I got kicked out of the ministry I was a part of. Uh, they told me I was no longer allowed to talk any of talk to any of my youth kids who I cared about tremendously and this was my whole world and so for them to just uh, kick me out and to treat me uh, with uh, some uh, mistreatment it was it was a rough time so I was uh, 19 I just turned 19 I think when this was all happening um, and uh, I was you know, some of these were all some of my closest friends, and uh, some of them were still supporting me as far as keeping in touch and you know trying to um, be there for me. But a lot of the people that uh, I cared about uh, were too uncomfortable to talk to me and kind of shun me out of their lives, and it was very hurtful. It was one of the most isolating moments of my life, and so now I was just nervous about my parents finding out. Of course, uh, through the grapevine and um, that. You know, I wanted them to hear about it from me, not from uh, somebody else. And so I kind of felt pressured to, uh, to tell them. Um, and uh, uh, it my dad was, uh, <laughs> I thought my dad would have a harder time than my mom with it, but it was the other way around. My dad was a lot older. Uh, he passed away about five years ago, but um, he, uh, he was 55 years old when I was born, so during my coming out, let's see, he was probably like 70 something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to do math right now, but this was around <laughs> 2006. And, um, uh, he, uh, 
he couldn't have been more supportive, uh, more kind and loving. And uh, my mom had a very difficult time with it and said some very hurtful things. Uh, she and I are very close now, so we've settled our differences and she's opened up her mind to, uh, she's changed so much, I can't even explain it and it's really wonderful. But at the time it was like, my mom didn't want me around and I was again 19, didn't have any friends suddenly. Uh, I felt like my mom was disowning me. I then decided to run away to Los Angeles. Um, I was uh, really passionate about acting at the time. So I thought, well, LA is four and a half hour drive from Vegas. I'll just go to LA and start a new life. And so I did that and that was a struggle. Um, I lived in LA for over two years. Um, and while I was there in LA, I was going through probably the deepest depression of my life. And um, it was during this time that I accidentally fell in love with photography. Um, do you remember so that moment? That moment that I do. It's shifted? Kind of, a, kind of funny. Uh, I was in a bookstore waiting for my roommate to get out of the bathroom. And uh, I was out of Borders, back when Borders still existed. Or no, Barnes & Noble. I don't remember which one. But I think it was a Borders. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. I was uh, waiting for my uh, friend to get um, out of the bathroom. And I just turned around and I was in front of the photography section. And I always had an appreciation for photography, but I never, just never clicked that maybe I should pick up a camera and try it out. So I never touched a camera in my life and I saw this, uh, this beautiful image on a cover of a book and I grabbed it from the shelf, I opened it up and there was this whole chapter on how this image was created and all the mechanics behind a camera and how a camera works and what, what shutter speed is and aperture and ISO and all these things and I, I was just really fascinated by it and I, I didn't, I, I was just caught off guard by my, from myself being interested in this and uh, I ended up telling my roommate I'll see her at home later and I um, I stayed at the bookstore the whole day until they closed and I read uh, I ended up buying well over $100 in photography books went home and I just hit the ground I just read all these books within a few months I started taking the bus to work so I had more time to read these books and I I still had never touched a camera before because I couldn't afford one I was so broke I um, I had read everything there was to know about photography for so many months without ever, ever having touched a camera. I mean, I would go into camera stores and like play around, but I was like, I really need to buy one. <laughs> so, um, as a Christmas gift to myself, I finally got some credit cards and financed uh, my very first camera. And, um, and I left the camera store that day, took it out of the box immediately and started photographing around Los Angeles. Um, and that was pretty much it. And, uh, that turned into my remedy from my depression. It got me into the present moment, got my mind off of so many things. And I started, uh, really appreciating just the natural beauty of my surroundings without having to worry about what other people thought of me or my struggles or my, I was going through so much guilt and shame and self-hatred at the time and this took me out of all of that and uh, it was like a form of meditation for me yeah. and um, 
uh, I still have never met anyone that had the same experience as far as um, having never touched a camera but learned all the ins and outs of photography for I mean <laughs> I mean I was reading these books for months before touching a camera so if anybody is interested in photography I recommend learning a lot about it and not touching a camera and then once you do turn it to the manual setting oh and that's another thing sorry I'm talking a lot now no you're fine <laughs> well, you're perfect point, right? <laughs> um, but you know uh, uh, I don't know what's interesting or not so let me know if you want to no uh, it's it's honestly it's, it's all fascinating um, and it, it's just it's so interesting that you were able to get out of your depression through getting further outside of yourself and looking at everything around you instead of focusing so internally yeah um i don't even think i realized what was all happening as it was happening i think that happens a lot in life but then yeah. in retrospect when we think back we're like oh okay that's why i was doing this or this i, I think we know a lot more intuitively and subconsciously than we give ourselves credit for and i think that's also why living in the present moment and just going with your gut feeling and being spontaneous is so powerful because um i think deep down um we know what's best for us. And so a lot of times when you let the different, there's a lot of negative things around the world that can influence us. And if we let that uh, consume our minds too much, then that filters our minds and we it gets us further and further away from our true selves. And um, yeah, so I, I, I think I think that's what photography was for me. It was sort of a uh, a way for my mind to directly get in touch with uh, with my inner self and my true passions. And I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that absolutely. sounds all. No, it, it you know, doesn't. It sounds a little cheesy or whatever, whatever I'm saying, but it's like, it's true, you know? It doesn't, though. And sometimes I feel like the things that, I don't know, because I say the same thing. I'll be like, oh, I know this sounds really corny, but. And whatever comes after that but is usually something wonderful. So, I mean, I think that's that's perfect. And it also makes a ton of sense because in order to capture beautiful pictures, you have to be really present in the moment. You have to be really watching everything around you to be able to see it because it can be gotten in a split second. And so it, I mean, you just, in order to get as, as good as you've gotten at photography, you had to fully engage in your life and really be present in everything. And now what was it like for you the moment you actually touched a camera and actually started physically taking pictures? <laughs> it was like, I felt like a five-year-old. I mean, I felt like I got the ultimate toy that, um, yeah, I, I think I think we become our best selves when we are our most most childlike selves, and um, you know, no matter who you speak to, my dad was eighty one years old when he passed away, and he would say to me often, you know, I still feel like a kid. Like I don't I don't get how I look in the mirror. I'm like, how am I this old? I still feel like a child. And anybody that knows my dad, like that, he had a very childlike. Um, demeanor, uh, very kind and open-minded and, um, always curious about the world. And I'm really grateful. I, I think I have some of that from him. And for me, that's what photography did. Um, now, you know, this was 12 years ago now, 11, 12 years ago. So now I, you know, I do 
photography professionally, which I never meant to do. (laughs) (laughs) And so a lot of times when you do something professionally for work, a lot of times it takes away the passion because there's a lot more responsibility involved. There's a lot more pressure. Uh, I still go through moments where, um, uh, I don't touch my camera for many months and, um, just because there's, well, but there's a lot of expectations now but I, I've been very blessed with where my career has gone and in very unexpected ways so this is all about the deviation podcast right <laughs> that's like all my life is is weird coincidences and synchronicities and me ending up and meeting incredible people that I never thought I would have the honor of meeting and uh, different clients that I work for and st- it's just again I, I I didn't force any of that to happen I never thought any of these things would happen and so um, a lot of my friends make fun of me because I'm a very spontaneous person um, most international trips I've taken to India or Europe or China I booked the flight literally every time if any of those places I've, I booked the flight less than a week in advance without having any idea I was going to be there sometimes the day before. <laughs> so. so would you take me through that? So you, you started working with a camera and then, because I, I mean, I've heard a few of your stories and I, and I'd love for you to just like walk, walk me and whoever is listening through this. So how did, how did it all happen? Cause I want to ask you about all of them because they're just, they're just sometimes so fun. Even- Sometimes I don't even know the answer to how because I still ask myself how did this happen. Some of it is like so serendipitous that it's not even me. It's like it has to be beyond me. And I will say, um, uh, I don't, uh, I'm sure you're going to have a variety of listeners listening. So I don't know what anybody's spiritual background are. Um, But I, I will say that ever since my dad died, uh, really crazy, miraculous things have happened in my life. And even my, I have a lot of close friends that are atheists or agnostic. Even they are kind of dumbfounded. Um, and, you know, after my coming out, like I, I went through such a hard time that I, 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 I there was so much hypocrisy and, and, and uh, cognitive dissonance going on that I thought, like, this is not the God that I know, you know, that you would never treat me this way. And so I got so upset and angry that I went through a long period of, of, uh, I don't know, doubting, I guess you could say. And so my, uh, my dad was, uh, very, very Christian, but very like open-minded, supportive of everything. And, and he was always very concerned about, where I was as far as my, um, my faith, if you will, or whatever. So, um, so I think after he died, it's almost like, uh, I've been ignoring a lot of signs that, uh, you know, it's like when you, when you buy a new car, right? So you buy a yellow convertible, whatever car, you start seeing that car everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Oh, but that's just a simple psychological thing. Right. You just notice it. You never noticed it before because you didn't own this. And so I started thinking that 
that was just simply these signs that I would see. But then it turned into more and more and more where these unexplainable things that have happened to me. And um, uh, it's all, again, I, I'm like, I'm struggling here trying to explain this because this could turn into like a five hour story. But um, my father's death has essentially uh, changed my entire worldview. Uh, and um, I have no doubt anymore that he is um, a part of this story. So as far as how these things have happened, um, it's a mixture between being in the right place at the right time and when preparation meets opportunity, but it's also um, things that I just can't really explain or describe. Um, so it has renewed my faith in the universe or, you know, I don't, I don't like to use the word God because that Im immediately uh, has like a, a visual of an old man with a long white beard in the clouds, you know, like a magician that, that arises in most people's heads. I don't view God in that way. I think it's a lot more um, creative than that and unexplainable. But anyway, <laughs> I don't want to get all, like, all preachy about my spiritual beliefs. No, but, no, you're, you're fine. It's interesting you're bringing all this up because you and I started to talk about this last week um so so john and i had facetime before just because you know we had texted and that was about it and it's like okay so then next time we talk let me just you know tell me your life story and everything <laughs> <laughs> so we um we facetime yeah. for for a while and we started getting into stuff like this and then that actually spurred the um the blog that I posted last week about once you once you open yourself up and you're not so dead not that I'm not for plans I love plans and planners and all that good stuff but if you allow there to be room to not just stick with a to B to C and that's it there's no room for any deviations it doesn't allow for much magic to happen but when you're open to all those serendipities I mean it's just it's incredible and yeah yeah. You are, like, proof of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just realized a lot of people listening probably have no idea what we're talking about because it's like anybody can be a photographer. But True. Um, so I, I guess some of these moments are, are um, uh, not, just, not just very notable figures in our society that I've had the honor to meet and develop friendships with um i mean I, I met president obama 15 times while he was in office um his uh his right hand man his uh, uh his assistant uh was uh very influential in helping um save one of my best friend's lives who was held hostage in papua new guinea with 12 other hikers um uh I, uh, <laughs> which led to so many other things and uh, meeting Batman on a rooftop and that literally led to me having a mental breakdown which led to me driving spontaneously overnight to San Francisco uh, from Las Vegas for nine hours Show up and I showed up in San Francisco trying to await the news about this big rescue mission in Papua New Guinea to rescue my friend and we're in Indonesia and that's how I ended up in San Francisco spontaneously. Six in the morning, I'm driving around downtown San Francisco, and I noticed this building, and I thought, oh, that's the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. That's the hotel that 
has that amazing rooftop that I've seen on Instagram or whatever, but it's a restricted rooftop. And I had emailed the hotel a couple of times trying to get access on their, their rooftop and they never responded. So I thought, you know what? I'll just pull over. I'm park my car. I walk in, I ask for the manager and I said, Hey, I'm a professional landscape photographer. Um, you know, what, what do I need to do to get access on your roof, um, to take some photos. And, um, he was, he was nice, and he, he was like, all right, well, how about this? If you book a hotel room with us for the night, I will give you 15 minutes up there, which 15 minutes is, like, no time at all. You know, I mean, and <laughs> some remind of my me, images have taken me two years. Remind um, me how much that hotel room was for the night? Oh, yeah, it was $600. <laughs> you know, it's Mannard Oriental. It's a fancy hotel. $600 for the night. And, um, but after the week I just had trying to, um, uh, not even sure if my friend is alive or not, it's a long story, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, I thought, you know what? I, I deserve this. I haven't slept all week. Um, I'm going to treat myself and okay, I'll stay in this hotel. And, uh, <laughs> then, uh, so he's like, okay, do you want to, when do you want to take the photo in the daytime at nighttime? I said nighttime, you know, I do a lot of astronomy photography and stuff. And, uh, so I rush up there and, you know, I've only have 15 minutes to get this photo. So I'm trying to get my camera equipment all ready and stuff. And up on the rooftop is freaking Batman. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like this isn't like a Halloween costume. I'm talking Batman. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm looking around, looking for a camera crew, like or some somebody filming. And no, they're not filming anything. He's just there, and he walks up to me. It's really intimidating. Okay, like, this is like, and I'm on the ledge of a building, and I'm like really creeped out. And I'm thinking, is this some kind of hidden camera prank or something? And um, turns out, uh, long story short, I, I um, he told me his story, and he had worked for years making this costume he had a motorcycle manufacturer construct the helmet the utility belt it's all genuine leather carbon fiber he spent tens of thousands of dollars on this costume and after years of perfecting it this just happened to be the night he was finally done with it and he was just up there being batman finally after all of his hard work and i'm like i can't believe it i'm like can i please take your photograph and fortunately he said yes and uh the problem is I had no lighting equipment on me and I was so frustrated so I ended up using my iPhone flashlight and I set my camera on a tripod and I won't get I won't bore anybody with the technicals of it but I ended up painting him with light which is a old classic technique and this image changed my entire life and my entire career and um, the most bizarre part of the story though is I offered him offered to send him a copy of the photo and he I never got his name no contact info and he, to this day, four and a half years later, he's anonymous. And uh, because of that image and that story, a um, couple years later, uh, or maybe just a year later, yeah, just a year later, uh, Elton John, of all people, uh, who's one of the biggest collectors of photography in the world, which I did not know at the time. Um, again, it's a very long story, but through the grapevine, somebody backstage at one of his shows told his assistant about this Batman story and um, uh, Elton wanted to see my work he met me invited me to his house and he was the first person to ever see my artwork 
he became my first collector. He bought 11 prints out of 10 that I showed. <laughs> so Wait, hold on, hold on. You have to back up for a second because when we were on the phone the other day, you shared with me what had happened in regards to you just having certain things printed and that will you go oh, into that? Yeah. Cause that's, well, that's just yeah. incredible. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I get lost in my own corn mazes. Um, and it's also, I don't know how much time we have either. So, but my, okay. Yeah. So just to answer what you're saying really quick, um, just to interrupt you for one second we have as much time as we need i mean like mike's interview was close to two hours so there's no time cap on this it's all good oh yeah yeah okay so um um okay it's quarter to five right now so i'll just um whatever i'll just play it by ear (laughs) (laughs) um anyway so what you're referring to is um yeah when we spoke on the phone um i for almost 10 years, I had never produced a single print. So for 10 years, I was just shooting all these photos and I never shared them with anyone. Uh, and, um, I'm still not even sure why. I think it was just like, I never wanted, like, it was all just for me. Like there were very personal projects that I never had any motive of making money off of them or anything. I mean, granted, I had been shooting as a professional photographer for clients and stuff for those 10 years, but uh, my actual artwork, my astronomy photography and landscape photography is, um, uh, yeah, that I never showed anybody or printed for 10 years. But after my dad died, um, that's when it became clear that I became very upset with myself that my dad never got to see my artwork. Um, my dad was also very creative. He was a painter. He was a poet. He wrote six novels. He was a board game designer. He was, I mean, wow. Jack of all trades. Well, his name was Jack too, but really <laughs> Jack of all trades. Um, he was a very creative genius. He was in advertising. He created like a, a, this advertising agency that still exists. It's one of the biggest ad agencies in the country. Um, uh, I really, I looked up to him more than anybody. And so when he suddenly died, it was like, he never got to see my artwork and I was so mad at myself. And I think for that reason, I, I dedicated all of 2015 14 or 15 to learning the whole printing process. And I, I wanted to produce um, not only my first prints, but if I'm, if it's been 10 years, I might as well go all out and try to produce the highest quality print. I can oh, of course. Fine. So, um, but I got very lost and deep, deep down the rabbit hole when it comes to printing. It's like, <laughs> wow, you're telling me that there's prints that can cost $3,000 for like a simple print. So I went down that route. So I ended up selling a lot of my old photography equipment, and I used to have like a, a little airplane. It was like a powered hang glider. I had a truck and a trailer to haul the plane in. I sold all of that uh, just so I could afford my first 10 prints, like very large, you know, six, seven foot prints. And um, uh, so I, I decided um, um, it was kind of like in honor of my dad. Uh, well, I mean, it was, yeah. And my goal was to have them done by my dad's birthday, October 8th. Um, so that's the backstory to how the prints got created. And so, um, fast forwarding now back to the Elton thing, it just so happened 
that um, my meeting with him coincided. Uh, first, he wanted me to go to dinner on a Friday. He invited me to go to the show, and we'd go to dinner after so he could see my photos. But my prints hadn't arrived yet, and I'm calling the printer, which is out of state, saying, at the biggest meeting of my life, you, you don't, I, like, I, I need these prints, I'll, over, I'll pay whatever to have them overnighted, and they're like, FedEx already picked them up, it's out of our hands, they're not supposed to arrive till next week, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, turns out Elton invited me backstage after the show so he could apologize to me in person, because he felt so bad, he had to cancel dinner, because something came up. He said, I'm so sorry, uh, how about how about Wednesday next week? Are you free for lunch? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, if you're too busy, I understand. I'm like, Elton, I don't think you realize how excited I am for this. Like, I don't care what's going on, I will be there. Turns out, Tuesday evening, there's a knock on my door, and it's FedEx with all the these big, giant boxes and crates full of my artwork. And um, I called Elton's assistant, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this, but... My prince just arrived. Uh, like, this is so crazy. I have to rent, like, a truck or something to, to you know, U-Haul or something to fit these prints. And he's like, rent a truck? How big are these prints? And I'm like, they're, like, five, six feet wide, hundreds of pounds, <laughs> mounted on acrylic, you know. And he goes, okay, hold on, hold on, John. Like, do you realize you're you're going to his house? Like, you don't want to be obtrusive about it, you know? Like, don't get your hopes up. He's not going to buy anything. He's just curious to see what your work's like. You know, just bring your iPad or your laptop or something and show him on there. I'm like, no, John, his name was also John. I said, John, you don't understand. It's been 10 years. I've never produced a single print in my life. And the day my prints arrive, like 20, less than 24 hours later, is the biggest meeting in my life with the biggest collector of photography in the world. Like, that is so coincidental. Like, what are the odds? Like, I have to have them there. I'll have them in the parking lot outside just in case, you know? It's like, all right, all right, fine. I think that was the best decision I ever made because this little little meeting at Elton's house turned into, I was there for several hours. Um, it took, um, uh, again, uh, these are all very long stories, but, um, uh, it started out, uh, I told him the whole story with the prints and all this and to get them done for my dad's birthday and all, I told him the whole story of all the prints. I said, so if you want, I could get all of them and bring them up here or, you know, we could start out on the laptop and he's like, let's start with the laptop. You know, <laughs> he doesn't know what, you know, what these prints are going to look like. And, you know, I was up for days all weekend, uh, you know, prepping for this and, you know, trying to, uh, get my photos, you know, what order do I show them these photos? And, you know, I, preloaded them in my computer so I could zoom in and out without any delay, make sure they're high resolution, all this stuff, put them in a certain order. And now all of a sudden I'm sitting next to him on a couch with my laptop showing him my images and it took an hour and a half to show him uh, just 10 photos because um, he wanted to hear the story behind each one. And, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, such a long story. But um, anyway, he, he was, he was, he was very quiet the whole time I was showing him these, telling him these stories. And I'm like, I have no idea what he thinks of them. I'm not getting any feedback from him. And I'm, I, I tend to be a little bit insecure and I'm like, Oh, does he hate them? Does he like, <laughs> oh, is he just like waiting for the, you know, 
and I did, I had no idea what he was thinking. And then uh, after after showing him um, the photos, um, we went to the dining table to have lunch, and he was just very quiet for a while. And uh, he said, uh, "How did how did you get started doing photography? Did you go to school for it, or or you know?" And I'm like, "No." And I told him, you know, everything I told you earlier um, about how I got started and. And uh, basically, through my depression, you know, is the, is where my love for photography came from. And it turns out he's been collecting photography for decades. And he said it was for the very same reason he started collecting photography. Um, to that's what helped him get sober, and it's what also was a remedy to his own depression. And all of a sudden, we realize uh, we have a lot of similarities when it comes to. Um, uh, some struggles we have as and as well as a lot of human beings, right? Depression is very common. So he was very open with me and, and vulnerable and shared with me a lot of uh, um, a lot of who he is and uh, changed my whole mindset um, and about what his thoughts on his own work, his songwriting and um, and uh, anyway, so, uh, again, long story short, uh, that turned into him. Uh, I showed him my very first print because it wasn't like a big print or anything. It was just like a little 30-inch print of Batman. And that was my very first print. And uh, so I showed him that because it, it's printed on crystal with laser. It's printed with laser what? instead of ink. Um, it's a whole long process. And so this was... That, that's how all my prints were made and so I knew he would appreciate that so I showed him my very first print print number one this little photo and he said this is the quality of all your prints that are downstairs I said yeah he goes okay I want you to bring all of them up here right now and I'm like <laughs> you <laughs> just like, like stop breathing for a minute yeah oh yeah so now Elton's assistant who told me not to bring them <laughs> you know I'm like I'm not gonna say I told you so but and so now he and his you know other assistants are helping me hike all these prints up to the fourth floor up the elevators and all that and now his entire living room turns into this pop-up gallery and it was the craziest moment of my life the most surreal moment of my life by far because not only is am I showing my artwork to Elton, but um, this is my first time seeing my own artwork as well. So my first time seeing my own artwork is with Elton John in his living room, and uh, the, and uh, it was just a really wonderful experience. And um, anyway, eventually he ran, he was running terribly late for a flight, and he's like, "Oh my god, I gotta get out of here!" And uh, he he just said that one, that one, that one, that one. <laughs> you know? And uh, um, it was a magical moment. And he, he, as I was leaving his house, packing up everything, he, he turned around and he said, by the way, John, I, I want you to uh, have my permission. You're allowed to tell anybody you want that I'm a collector of your work. You know, he said, you need to stop isolating yourself. The world needs to see this work. And, you know... Um, you know, and he gave me his contact info, whatever. And years later, we're still in touch. He's very supportive. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, um, 
that's how that happened. And then... Um, that's incredible. That's such an incredible story. It really is incredible. I still don't quite believe it <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and that was all thanks to Elton's assistant. Uh, his name is John Howard. He, he was the first person to tell Elton about it and, and he solidified this whole thing. I owe a lot to him as well. And, you know, there's just, there's so many different characters and, uh, in every story that, um, and there's, I call it the domino effect. Uh, because again, if my father hadn't passed away again, long story, but if my dad hadn't passed away, I wouldn't have had this very crazy, weird, unexpected, uh, relationship with President Obama if that wouldn't happen then um, my friend my, my friend John Beatty most likely wouldn't have had his life saved with 12 other hikers across the world again long story and if that wouldn't happen I wouldn't have had a minor mental breakdown and spontaneously decided to drive up to San Francisco overnight and if that wouldn't happen, I wouldn't have ran into Batman on the roof. And if Batman wouldn't happen, the story never would have reached Elton. And, you know, and so there's so many tiles that get placed that um, if you take one out, it doesn't work. The dominoes don't fall. Uh, they don't finish their sequence. And uh, I think that happens in everyone's lives. I mean, yes, there are crazy exceptions in my own um but i don't know why that has happened but um for reasons like this to to share that with others to inspire people to and encourage people to kind of um become more aware of of the little complexities and details in life because i think that's where the real beauty lies is is all in the intricacies in in life um I, I love, that's a big reason why I love photographing the galaxy and the universe, the stars. It keeps me curious. Um, a lot of people kind of get nervous to look at stuff like that. I keep on looking over as we're talking because I, I have one of my own prints finally for the first time in my life hanging up in my house. <laughs> so I'm looking at it as I'm talking about it. I feel um, kind of guilty for saying this because we're not actually videoing this, but can you move the camera so that I can see it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well... And I'll, I'll, whoever is listening right now, I will I will be sure to post a picture of what I'm about to. God, I don't have it lit up yet. I'm yeah, but it's gorgeous right now. But but um, thanks. Oh, here's Batman. <laughs> I'll show you guys this picture too. It's extraordinary. So I finally can afford my own artwork. So that's nice. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, so I have to I have to ask you about President Obama. Can you can you said that that was another story in regards to how you? I mean, you said you met him fifteen times. Yeah. Because uh, uh, oh I don't think I've ever heard anybody anybody ever utter that statement unless I'm watching television. So. Yeah, I mean, there's world leaders out there that haven't had as much time with them. It's very weird. I have no. I have no interest in politics. I mean, no interest in getting involved in politics. Um, uh, uh, that's a very funny story. That all started from me inadvertently stealing somebody's vodka in a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
It was my 26th birthday. I was living in Las Vegas again. And, uh, <laughs> um, oh gosh, I am so not a going out guy. I don't go to bars. I don't go to clubs usually, you know, um, Okay. See, now I'm getting caught. This was a very special night for me, though, because my own mother and my own sister, two people who were very homophobic before, um, I mean, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but they had a very difficult time uh, uh, accepting my my truth. And um, anyway... All of a sudden, my mom wants to go to a gay club. <laughs> what? I mean, this is seven years after my coming out, so she had evolved quite a lot. And so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I can't believe it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, so my mom and my sister, a bunch of my friends were all at a gay club. And I'm like, I never thought this would happen. And, <laughs> um, uh, um, somebody I was in a relationship with at the time worked there and like said he was going to get me a free bottle of vodka so we didn't have to pay for drinks that night and I'm like oh great so I showed up and um, it's a long story this this isn't I'm going to shorten it but basically I thought uh, this bottle was mine but it turned out it was this random strangers and I didn't know who he was and um, I just assumed it was mine and so I'm pouring everybody drinks hosting my own uh, my birthday party and finally it wasn't until the next day that my friend was like, by the way, that bottle that you were sharing with everybody wasn't yours. And I'm like, what? No, no, no. It was supposed to be comped. And what? No, it was actually my friends. You know, it was like a mutual friend or whatever. I'm like, once I realized like that was true, I'm like, I feel so terrible. Please give me his phone number. Yeah. So I, I reached out to him and I said, hi, I'm that obnoxious person from last night that stole your vodka. I had no idea that, and he was such a nice guy. He just like covered the tab and didn't even say anything. He was like, oh, I could tell that you were having a great time with your mother and whatever, you know, so I just covered it. That's how good of a person he, I was like, oh my, please let me take you out to dinner. And so I take him out to dinner. I, I'm like trying to find the best restaurant in Vegas. I cover the, the, the tab, you know, whatever. And so that's how we became friends. Now he was a, uh, a donor f- to the Obama um, uh, campaign. And this was right before the second election. And so that's just like the little beginning of how that started. And so uh, fast forward, I was in Los Angeles with him and uh, uh, there was a last minute cancellation for this. Uh, it was an event called the 30 Days to Victory, uh, President Obama was giving a big speech at the Nokia Theater in downtown L.A., and there was a last-minute cancellation, and um, I was with my friend in the Nokia Theater watching Obama give a speech on stage, and he's like, oh, my God, there's a last-minute cancellation for this big, like, dinner that's happening, you know, with Obama, and, you know, because he's a donor or whatever. I, I don't know the details of what was all happening, but it was basically like, we have to decide right now if you want to come, and, you know, it includes a plus one. So now, before I know it, I'm at a dinner with only 40 people and President what? Obama, and, like, George Clooney's there, Seth MacFarlane's there, like, like oh my God. all of Hollywood is there. Yeah, and so all of a sudden I find myself... Um, not only at this dinner, but meeting with the president one-on-one. And uh, <laughs> um, another funny, weird backstory is three days before this, 
was my dad's 80th birthday, uh, or no, sorry, uh, it was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary, just days before my dad, like the day I met Obama was actually my dad's birthday, but days before this, it was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. Sorry, confusing. And um, it was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary, and my dad's always wanted to go skydiving. It was always on his bucket list, and it was like, okay, he's about to have his 80th birthday, (laughs) my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. I'm like, so I surprised my parents, and I said, Mom, Dad, I'm taking you skydiving. And they were super excited. We got all these friends and family involved. Then all of a sudden, right before they're supposed to go jump, the company calls us and they said, we're so sorry, but we have to cancel your skydive jump because President Obama's flying into town. So there can't be any air traffic in the air because of Air Force One. So we have to cancel your skydive jump. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what are the odds, you know? Yeah. I'm like, oh, so three days later, here I am meeting the president. So I was not planning on saying this. (laughs) Well, I wasn't even planning on meeting him. All of a sudden, I shake hands with him, we take a photo, and all of a sudden I turn to him and I say, Mr. President, I gotta tell you, I love you and all, but I got a bone to pick with you. (laughs) The whole room gets awkward and quiet, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those out-of-body experiences where you're like looking at yourself from a third-person perspective and you're saying, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, all the time. I was like, what am I doing right now? And... I just kept going and I was like, so three days ago was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary and the flight, the skydive, I, I, I told them the whole thing about the skydiving and all this and we got all these friends and family involved and suddenly the company calls us and said that they had to cancel the skydive because you flew into town just last Wednesday. <laughs> and so you ruined the whole plan, the whole anniversary. <laughs> and everybody starts laughing and Obama's just like, completely got off guard you know and he's like uh, uh I, I i i'm very sorry uh to tell your parents uh i'm very sorry and hopefully we can make it up to them somehow you know and i'm like i can hold to that so um anyway uh that because of that moment and uh i i ended up later on in the oh god this i I don't know how to shorten these stories. Uh, you don't. Here's the thing: you don't have to because they're so interesting. And I mean, I can't, I wouldn't want you to. I know, I know, but it's uh, yeah. So um, anyway, because of that moment, uh, my friend and I ended up becoming friends with a lot of the campaign people, and uh, we had drinks with them later, and and. Uh, one thing led to another, to another, and my dad was so caught up, you know, so for his birthday present, I go back to Vegas and I show him a photo of me and President Obama together because I didn't tell my dad the whole time what was just about to happen, and so I wanted to surprise him on his birthday. And um, uh, actually, that was his last birthday, yeah, that he had. So um, anyway, after he died, um, uh, I, I also did some photography uh, the, the night he won uh, the second election. I was in Chicago and I photographed him on stage and everything. So I was I had the honor of utilizing these connections. So I was able to photograph uh, some of his uh, campaign stuff, and I ended up photographing at the White House, uh, and um, I photographed the inauguration. And um, anyway, uh, my dad as I said earlier, was a board game designer. Turns out, my dad's biggest selling board game way back in the 60s and 70s was a game called Mr. President. 
and it was uh, it's a very brilliant it's 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 been discontinued since the 1970s and my dream is to bring it back but um, uh, uh, it, they used to play it in a lot of the government classes and high schools even some Ivy League colleges like Columbia where Obama went they would play this game because not only is it very fun and entertaining you and your opponent are are campaigning around the country using an allotted amount of money, donations and stuff, money to run for president. And it's, you know, one of those longer three, four hour games. And at the end of the game is election night and you're counting all your votes and stuff. It's very cool. And it's also four players, you know, vice president, your partner is vice president, whatever. So, um, anyway, uh, it was right after, uh, I met the president right after the election, my dad passed away and, um, my mom and I were going through my dad's stuff, which he had a lot of stuff. He was like, you know, he designed over 150 board games. There was stuff everywhere. It's like, what, what, what do we do with all this stuff? So, um, eventually my mom and I, we, I came across this big cardboard box that said Mr. President on it. I open it up and it's my dad's like original, handmade prototype that he would pitch to these companies to get it published and uh, um, some old beat up copies but there was one unopened copy of the game from 1967 I think 1965 my dad dad kept it his whole life it was still wrapped in plastic and my dad would often say oh I don't know why I've kept it all these years it's just going to sit in a box forever Um, and I'm like mom isn't it crazy that dad is the creator of the Mr. President board game and I have this weird, like, I know the president. <laughs> like, that is weird, isn't it? So I was like, I wonder if I ever had the opportunity, every time I would meet him I would think this was my last time, I would try to take it all in internally and then lo and behold I'd get invited to another event or something would happen and I thought, God, if I ever had a chance to meet him again, I would love to give this to him. And that moment happened. Um, uh, I, oh gosh, it was really hard to get it to him because you can't just walk into a room where the president is holding a box, sort of yeah. security problem. Yeah. So, um, so the Secret Service agents, fortunately, I'd met a lot of them by now, um, and I had to talk my way through um, getting it to him. Uh, but thanks to a man named Marvin Nicholson, he's Obama's right hand aide. He saved the day and uh, allowed me to, to give him the game in person. And I told him the whole thing. And Obama said, uh, he said, well, this is, this is so cool. This is one of the most unique gifts I've ever received. And he's like, surely you must have more copies, right? And I'm like, well, some old beat up copies in his prototype. But this is the only one that's in new condition. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. And he hands it back to me, and I literally was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. President, there's literally nothing else I'd rather do with this game than give it to you. If you give it back to me, I'm just going to mail it right back to the White House. (laughs) Please, in honor of my dad and and being supportive of my rights, you know, as a gay person and everything you've done. um, And by the way, after my dad passed away, he ended up writing a condolence letter to my mother. unbelievably sweet man um uh oh gosh there's just so much so um 
so I gave it to him, and uh, I guess it was in his office the rest of the time he was in the White House, and um, uh, I have no idea where it is now. Um, he's, you know, going to build his presidential library. You have no idea. Yeah, who knows what will happen. That story is still yet to finish. But it's because of Marv uh, and because of this board game uh, moment that uh, the next time I saw Obama, Marv was there. I, I couldn't, I was like, thank you so much for helping me with the board game. Uh, I said, I would love to be in touch with you somehow. And because of that, I got his email address and, um, and thank God I had his email address because that was, I, that's, I finally emailed him when all of a sudden I got a call from my close friend's younger brother saying he's held hostage in Indonesia, whatever it's, that's a whole other story. So it all like, it all connects, it all coincides, it all one thing leads to another to another again the domino effect it's, yeah. it's for real so um uh yeah <laughs> that's amazing i'm like i'm speechless right now yeah it's pretty nuts i uh yeah it, it kind of exhausts me to like relive these moments i don't share it often um and also like i i like to keep it personal um, I used to tell these stories a lot because I'm like, this is so cool, you know? <laughs> and so now I just kind of um, like to think back on it and meditate on it and appreciate it. But um, for whatever reason, people seem to get uh, inspired a little bit by it. Uh, I think it's important to share stories. Um, uh, I, I just, again, like, I don't know why these things have happened to me. A lot of times when I've had these moments where I'm sitting next to Obama or, you know, Elton or whatever, it's like, why am I here right now? <laughs> like, I'm a nobody. I'm a college dropout who takes photos. You know, like, it's, it's like, but that's what life is. Life is um, these series of events and, and, Everyone in life is no smarter than you. We all have uh, something to offer to others. And um, I think it was Steve Jobs that said, um, everything around you that you call life is made up of people that are no smarter than you. And you can create things that can influence that world. You can, you can uh, make change. I, I don't want to butcher what he said. But um, but it really ins- that quote inspired me, and it's so true. Um, no matter how successful or famous somebody is or rich somebody is, everybody's just playing uh, this masquerade, you know. Where um, I, I've met a lot of people now that are very uh, influential in the world and successful that struggle with the same same human struggles that all of us struggle with and and also a lot of them are unhappy and a lot of them struggle with insecurities and depression and uh, anxiety and um so no i was i was just gonna say that it's um it's it's part of what you and i were talking about last week that 
it's so easy to look at somebody like like Elton John or President Obama or these incredibly successful people, um, including yourself, really, and saying, oh, well, they must not struggle with what I'm struggling with because look, look at how far they've come or they must be more disciplined or this or that or the other thing. And I, I don't know. It's It's almost as if we all start to view them as these not human people that are so much better. And that's simply not the case. It's just a matter of how you deal with it all and getting through it. And that's, that's it. And that's part of why I wanted to start all this. And a big part of why I wanted to interview you is because it's people who have these extraordinary stories that are so inspiring and that just give, they just give, give me hope. You know, it's like, there's a, uh, I don't want to get depressing or anything, but it's like, it's a, it's a light at the end of the tunnel of, life pretty no, much get depressed I, mean, <laughs> uh, I think I think the stigma around depression or any kind of struggles that we all face in different ways um, is really important to be more vocal and uh, more open about um, because we need that light at the end of the tunnels like there it's far too easy to get caught up in the negativities around the world and, and, you know, with social media and everything, we're just blasted with all this crazy news and political crap. And, you know, it's it's and also with social media, the, we get stuck in comparing ourselves to other people. And um, and the real problem with that is, in my opinion, you know, I go through phases with social media, but it's like uh, we're comparing our behind the scenes with everybody's highlight reel. You know, because everybody's trying to make their life seem better than it is, and um, it's just making things worse. And so, the more people are just open about, hey, this is what I struggle with. These are my weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? Hey, how can we help each other? How can we learn from each other? How can we uplift each other? Uh, I think that's what's important. And um, and you know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out I am trying to write a book <sighs> trying, this is never going to happen I mean, I've, for years I've been saying um, mostly because everybody's saying I need to write a book about all these stories but um, but I'm like, what's, what's the point of the story? What's the message behind the story? Or like, again, I don't feel I don't feel like anybody's special or credible enough to to even deserve some of these opportunities but I do think they've happened for a reason and I'm trying to figure out still what the patterns are how did these things happen um, uh, and I think it comes down to um, just basic human decency and um, treating people as human beings I think um, President Obama and I um I don't know what his thoughts are of me. I probably came off as kind of annoying after a while because <laughs> I was like, hey, we're good. But, but I treated him as a human being. Same thing with Michelle. She's amazing. And she and I would just like, like be silly. We have all these photos of like us just back to back. <laughs> you know, it's just like she's just treating people as human beings. And, um, you know, some of his campaign people would, I would be, I would feel embarrassed after some of these moments, especially after giving him a hard time about the skydiving stuff. I'm like, what did I, I just like treated the president with disrespect. I felt like, and some of his campaign people were like, Oh, are you kidding me? You probably love that. Like, he's, you know, 
so used to people just like kind of putting on a mask in front of him trying to like be a certain way and it's like no no like we're all on this little pale blue dot floating around space we're all little ants in the grand scheme of things like just I don't know what I'm trying to say no I'm right there with you though it makes total sense I mean it's Again, I, I hate to keep referencing it, but I'm just going to. Um, when we talked last week, you mentioned that one of your mentors had give you had given you the advice of moving moving the rope, getting out oh, of yeah. your own way. And I feel like that's that's what you've done. It's like, of course, the people on the other side of that red rope on, I assume it's red rope. I don't know. I might be making that up. Well, At the yeah. red carpet, they're they're just. They're regular people. He's a human being, you know? And so you treating you treating these people like human beings instead of, I don't know, super special celebrities, president of the United States, things like that, probably is why they want to be in touch with you and want to continue working with you because you're you're genuine and you're I don't know, not treating them like some alien for lack of any eloquency. Yeah. Um to a certain degree. I mean, it did get to a point where I was like, I think I'm being a little too casual with the president. (laughs) He deserves like a really great amount of respect. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, we, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people have an ulterior motive and we're all guilty of that in some time or some way or another. That's why I don't like going to networking events. Cause it's like people deliberately go into an event to figure out how can each of these people do something for you, which I mean, that's what life's all about. We use our strengths to help each other. But, um, I think when, when you do something good for somebody or, um, just treat people with, just kindness out of a genuine, authentic way, part of yourself. Like, like I wouldn't have met President Obama if, yes, I stole somebody's vodka, but it was a true mistake where I felt bad, and so I took him out to dinner and treated, you know, like I tried to do what I could to take back this mistake that I felt so bad about, you know, and like because of that, all these wonderful blessings happened. And um, right now I'm working with um, some really incredible people in charge of the Hayden Planetarium at the Museum of Natural History. Uh, Just as an example, I met the directors of the Hayden Planetarium. These are like Neil deGrasse Tyson, if anybody listening knows who he is, one of the most well-known astrophysicists out there who was a protege of Carl Sagan, who created or the, the movie Contact with Jodie Foster is based on his life, by the way. If anybody hasn't seen it, that movie is the best movie ever, in my opinion. Changed my life when I was younger. Anyway, so I was at this big astronomy convention upstate a few months ago. Very last five minutes of the, uh, of the convention, uh, I'm at this booth with this uh, magazine called Astronomy Now magazine. I'm just saying goodbye to everybody after this big convention. And uh, they just have this random merchandise there. And um, there were these two luggage tags uh, that were these NASA luggage tags. And, you know, I'm always losing my luggage and stuff. So I was like, I should probably get these. And I love NASA and all that. So um, and there were two different luggage tags with two different NASA logos. And so I said, oh, how much are these? Five dollars. You know, so it's oh, I'll get both of them. Right after that, this 
woman walks up um, and she's looking at the luggage tags and she uh, said, oh, uh, these are cool luggage tags. How much are these? Oh, $5 each. But this gentleman just took the last two of them. She goes, oh, okay. You know, I'm like, oh, well, do you want one? She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. And she goes, how much are they? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's $5, you know, and she's digging out her purse. And I'm like, no, really? Like, <laughs> it's on me, you know, have one. It's fine. I bought two of them, you know. And she goes, she's still digging out her purse. And I'm, she's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to find my business card. Um, uh, I don't know if you're ever in New York City, but I'm like, yeah, I live there. She goes, well, uh, I'm on the board of directors at the Hayden Planetarium. And... Uh, you know, if you ever want to come by, I'd love to show you around, whatever. I'm like, and are you kidding me? The the two people at the booth just heard about my whole story. Oh, there's a whole Eclipse story I haven't talked about yet, I didn't realize. <laughs> but because of this interaction, it hasn't happened yet, so I don't want to put, the, you know, jinx it or anything, but... I just met the director of visual uh, astro visualization of the museum, all thanks to this woman. Uh, I just got invited last week to meet with them and it turned out wonderfully. And there's a possibility that this museum might want to display some of my astronomy photography, including a photo I took of the great American eclipse last year that I haven't released. But my whole point I'm kind of a believer if you do a good deed, you shouldn't, like, announce it to the world because then that, like, negates what you did <laughs> because now you're trying to brag about a good deed you did. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to, like, boast, like, oh, I'm a good person. But there's, like, I'm just giving an example of, like, I had no idea who this woman was. She was just a random stranger. And just doing this random little thing of, like, hey, have I just bought this luggage tag. Have one if you want one. I just took the last one, you know. And that little tiny thing has led to, who knows, it could change my whole life, just like all these other things. So it's like, um, yes, a lot of these things are so serendipitous and coincidental, if there were a thing, that um, I think that, wow, this has to be like, like, like almost supernatural. But it's also a combination of that and just... Um, the concept of karma. I just spent three months in India last year, learned a lot about karma and how it works. I had a really hard time understanding it, but now I'm starting to understand how it works. And I have lots of examples to show from it, um, you know, of, of how that all works. So I, I guess it's like the world is what you make of it. And, and all of the world is just a reflection of who you are. So, Everybody around you is there to help you, whether um, they hurt you, you know, in a bad breakup or, you know, they do something awful to you, they steal from you or cheat you, whatever, whether it's an awful thing that they do to you or whether somebody helps you or guides you or mentors you or no matter what, everyone in your life is there to help you because these negative people are teaching you how not to be in the world. Everybody there is a lesson and everybody there is a mirror and um, if you just simply become aware of that and willing to adapt to change and getting more in tune with your core self and going along with that flow, um, amazing things happen. And um, it's not just me. It's a lot of people that this happens to. So I think it's, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm again corn maze. No, 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 not not at all. Actually, no, I I completely agree with you. And it's, I mean, it can be hard when life gets really difficult to look at it that way and to not just, uh, I don't know, go into go into your shell. Or at least for me, that can be hard sometimes. But. I feel like if as much as you can, you can look at things from the perspective of, okay, like what's the, either what's the silver lining in this? What can I learn from this? Why did this come into my life? Like there's, I don't, I don't feel like, I feel like everything happens for a reason, no matter what it is, there's a reason behind it. And it's just a matter of finding that because no matter what it is, you can grow from it in some way, even if it's, it's, even if it's an awful thing, there is a way to become better from it if that makes sense yeah exactly yeah um i i think uh yeah the everything happens for a reason thing is something i've always had a hard time grasping i think because a lot of people think it's everything happens for good reason Mm -hmm. i think people think that it's always good but then when you focus on horrible things happening to people less fortunate than any of us here in the U.S. and a lot of third world countries or, uh, Mm -hmm. well, even here in our country, childhood cancer, you know, or just car accidents or anything. It's like, it's really hard to um, understand why things happen, but um, but it's, we're not supposed to understand (laughs) everything that happens. Mm -hmm. Life is supposed to be a mystery. We're supposed to have fun with the mystery of life. And, um, as far as, um, uh, I, I, again, I I don't want to like become like preachy about beliefs. Um, cause I, I don't have any strict fixed beliefs myself. You know, it's always changing and evolving. Um, I think, I think we're meant to evolve even within our one lifetime. We're meant to evolve and we pass that on to our children uh, literally, our, our DNA, thing, our experiences we've had in our own lifetimes gets passed on down our, our DNA. So um, if that's not, um, you know, uh, everlasting life, you know, I don't know what I, I view. I, I view the here and now as as um, as heaven in a sense, um, um, because think about heaven when you visualize heaven, you imagine being with all your loved ones, right? We have that right now. Like, why are we getting so caught up in distractions and in our self-serving endeavors trying to impress people with these temporary things where the, the more we're focused on ourselves and our own ego trying to just like acquire wealth and whatnot for ourselves just to feed our own egos, the less time we're spending with people we love and and improving their own lives. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, what if heaven, it's it's like, I really don't want to offend anybody. Again, this is just my own beliefs, so I could be completely wrong. But my biggest fear is what if heaven isn't some off distance future thing once we die what if it's what if the present moment is all we have mm. that is like that if if everybody 
focused on that, the here and now and the present moment, that this is heaven, so let's treat everybody the way we would want to treat them if we were in heaven. What if that's right now, the whole world would be a different place. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, there's a lot of people that are so um, uh, convinced that the end times are coming. Okay, we've been thinking we're living in the end times for the last 3,000 years. Every generation thinks they're living in the end times. But if people truly think that, to solidify that belief, they're going to make it happen. It's almost like a self-fulfilled prophecy. You know, I see a lot of people that are so looking forward to the afterlife that they're not taking care of the planet, you know? And so, um, sorry, now I'm getting really preachy, but like climate change is a serious issue. And that's what is really behind my my artwork with astronomy photography. I want people to realize how small and fragile the Earth is, that the only thing keeping us alive is this little, little, thin, little atmosphere that is getting killed. And we're not... What's the point of any of this if we're just going to kill ourselves, let alone nuclear warfare and all this other stuff, which is mostly just stemmed from different religious beliefs. You know, it's all just like... If we could just think as one, as one species, as as the earth just as a whole, as one, and that we have to work together and care for each other, regardless what your beliefs are, or what color skin you have, or who you just who you connect with and fall in love with, you know, whether it's a boy or a girl, it's like, what is it to you, like? We're getting so caught up in the distractions and the details of life that that it's going to destroy us. Oh, yeah. And, and people people forget, I feel like, oh, oh, so many people forget about the basics of we're, we may all be different, but we're really all the same. I mean, we all have blood th- flowing through our veins. We all have cells. I mean, we're not that different. And yeah. the basics of just being kind to people and... Mm-hmm whether there's heaven or no heaven being present in the moment and actually right. looking around you. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much, how much you can miss not, not living in that way. And I mean, we're all, we're all at fault for doing that at times and it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, God, this really got into a deep conversation. <laughs> I hope that's okay, but Hey, we deviate. We deviated. (laughs) No, it's perfect. It's perfect. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason I asked you to be on here is to inspire people and kind of challenge people's mindsets, including my own. I mean, I, that's, I feel like that's a huge way you grow is through talking to people who will help you see things a little bit differently. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I I believe in like the whole trinity concept but in a different way where like what if what if we're almost all the same thing we're just experiencing this shared experience together I don't know if that makes any sense but like again if you think of the world as one and humanity as one it's like imagine if we had the same consciousness we had this uh, we're all and you know if 
since the majority of the country is Christian, right? In, in Christian terms, you know, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, but you are also the Holy Spirit, and it's all the same thing, right? In other words, and when I spent all that time in India, I learned a lot about Buddhism. I was very curious about Buddhism because they're all about the present moment, the here and now. They don't believe in an afterlife, but their philosophy and all the concepts are the same. Same thing in the Hindu religion. A lot of religions are all pointing to the same concept in that we're all one. And it's almost like all the religions are pointing to the same thing. But like, you know, like if you drop some food on the ground and your dog isn't, do you still have Charlie? Is it Charlie? Yeah, yeah, Charlie the puppy. (laughs) So imagine you drop some food on the ground and you're trying to point to Charlie, like pointing at the food to Charlie saying, the food's right there. But the dog, Charlie's just looking at your hand. He doesn't understand what pointing means. So he doesn't know to point, uh, to look at where you're pointing. So he just is so focused on the hand and on you instead of the message. And so that for a long time is how I've always viewed different religions is that they're all pointing to essentially the same thing. God, that's such a but good example. so caught up in all the details and, and just like the Pharisees in the Bible, they were so strict about all the rules and the regulations that they were missing the big picture that Jesus was like, no, 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 no. Yes, you're respecting all these laws, but you're respecting it so much to a fault. You're taking it too seriously. And I, I think that's when you look at all the past world wars and all the battles, people getting killed, so much of it is religion-based. Oh, and yeah. it's all just because of uh, getting distracted and focusing in things that are the wrong things to focus on. And so um, <laughs> sometimes I, rev- I keep on reminding myself, what am I? Yeah, anyway. You know, there are a lot of differences in in different religions. And bottom line... I feel like the goal is to have people be good, decent human beings that that give a shit, you know? Yeah. But Well, and also the denial of science is really um, scaring me. Um, the denial of, of climate change and um, human rights. Um, obviously, this is all due to my past and different traumas I've experienced, you know, um, just as a gay person. Um I'm actually quite thankful for those hard times now because I know what it's like now to be a minority. Fortunately, um, I can hide it if I need to, which unfortunately sometimes I do need to. Um, But um, I think because of those experiences, the way I was treated due to religion um, and beliefs... um, made me suicidal and very depressed and if you're a gay person statistically you are four times more likely to commit suicide what four times yeah um wow uh it's a very serious issue and the way that people are mistreated people still get killed beat up it's still um you can still get the death sentence for being a gay person in a lot of countries in the world yeah I mean, we live in such a bubble in yeah. America, we don't realize these things. And um, so, but I'm grateful. I, I always I always wished my whole life I wasn't gay, but because I am and I've, I can firsthand know what it's like to be treated differently because of who I am. 
um, that has opened up my mind and my eyes to so many other things and I've developed compassion for people that um, are black or Chinese or you know Asian but you know, I mean whatever <laughs> all the different races out there but also people that um, are you know we're starting to become a very classist uh, society as well where if you're poor you get treated very badly and it's it's just so sad and and everything with immigration and all this it's like okay you look at the quote uh, on the Statue of Liberty about how bring your tired and poor and whatever homeless people like we're supposed to be America who welcomes people um, anyway um, uh, there was a point to what I was getting at but now I've lost my train of thought um, I just think that I'll need to get oh, stop, wait. Get so Hold on. What's that? Say that say that one more time. You just broke up for a second. Oh, it's probably good because I was just stumbling trying to f- figure out what my point is. Um, <laughs> um, I, I guess all I'm saying is that people take life too seriously. People um, get... We all have egos and a lot of times um, the need to be right and pointing fingers and accusing others of being wrong just causes nothing but harm and negativity. That's all it is. So, um, you know, treating your neighbor as yourself. That's I, like, I still, I live regardless what I identify as, whether it's Buddhist or Christian or agnostic or whatever. I don't really have a label for myself, but I will say that I believe everything Jesus said you know, because if we all lived that way, it would be an amazing world. Um, if we lived the way everything Buddha said to live, it would be a really incredible world. So um, instead of getting caught up in labels and stereotypes and viewing people as other and different and therefore you feel threatened in some way, um, that just causes harm. If we could all just be Christ-like and Buddha-like and Muhammad-like, I don't know, whatever. Like, it's, it's just, it's so silly. I feel like so much of the world drama and the wars and people killing each other is, like, so childish when you really, boil, when it, when you boil down to the, the, the core issues going on. It's like, this is so silly. Why can't we just be having a good time? And when you meet somebody who's different, oh, man, when I went to the Middle East, Oh God, I was on a whole train there. Um, <clears throat> and we can also okay. cut that part out too, if it, that'd be better. It's fine. Yeah. Um, are you recording now? Okay. We're good. <laughs> You're going to have to edit this out. Um, anyway, yeah, I, uh, I was in the, in, in the Middle East. I, uh, I was in, um, Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the United Arab Emirates and uh, I was so fascinated to learn about their beliefs but also to realize how kind and sweet and welcoming everyone there was because here in, in America I was being taught a lot of really negative awful things about the Islamic religion and all this, you know, because of 9-11 and all these horrible things happening. 
I was scared to go there. And uh, it just opened up my mind again to, to the fact that, like, those people are exceptions, the, the awful terrorists, you know? We have terrorism here, American terrorists shooting up schools, shooting up this and that, you know? Um, again, why are they doing these things? Because they're being treated poorly. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess my whole, my whole point is uh, it sounds so cheesy and it's like, you know, you know, it's all about love or whatever. But, but really, I think we're all better off if we remind ourselves how fragile not only the world is, but how fleeting life is. Um, I've had a lot of people close to me pass away at too young of an age, um, unexpectedly. And uh, just keep reminding ourselves about the possibility that this could be all there is, the here and now. Even if there isn't, even if there is an afterlife, even if it's not just the here and now, who cares? Have that concept anyway. Um, because nothing but good things can come from that, um, that, that perspective. The here and now, the present moment, is the most powerful, most significant thing we can try to focus on. And, and um, I don't know if you've ever read the book Power of Now. I read that years ago, and I was really moved by that concept. Um, and it's really brilliant, too, by the way, that uh, Eckhart Tolle, I think, is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he talks a lot about uh, what I was saying earlier, um, how you can... Jesus's words, Buddha's words, they were all basically trying to illustrate this same concept um, just in different languages, different periods of time. Um, think about 2,000 years ago, if, if you had to try to uh, teach some lessons like kindness and, and compassion and, and treating people the way you want to be treated, you have to do it a certain way, a lot different than how you have to explain it this way, you know? So, yeah. um, I guess, uh, it, as far as my artwork goes, that is, uh, that is what I try to, uh, illustrate is, um, is that concept that that heaven is here and now like the world is so beautiful it's so amazing the fact that we have so many different uh, varieties of people is what makes life incredible we're not supposed to all be the same we're not supposed to all think the same we're not supposed to all have the same beliefs we're not all supposed to have the same strengths and weaknesses the fact that there's people out there like Joan who dedicates their lives to taking care of babies that their lives are being threatened is freaking incredible. Oh yeah. And like, it's like, there's so many different um, paths that people choose to take based on their own innate nature and their own passion. So I, I don't know. I just, uh, I get so like, I just get so aggravated by all the negative out there that it's like, why are, 
why are we so uh, caught up in these things? We should be more focused on, on a better future for humanity to make sure we don't go extinct because otherwise what the hell is the point of any of this? You know, like I'm a huge Elon Musk fan. The fact that he might actually be <laughs> uh, the, the reason why the human race doesn't go extinct to find a plan B to get us to colonize another planet is, <laughs> I think, the coolest thing ever. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, his whole concept is if you're not waking up in the morning, every morning, with something to, looking at the future as better than the now, there's something wrong. And um, as somebody who suffers from depression still to this day, um, that that's something I really try to focus on um so anyway i think that's all i have <laughs> no it was it was wonderful and just like just like our our last call you've left me with so much to think about because and like, like i told you before i try to interview people who challenge my mindset who inspire me who make me want to continue being better and that's exactly what you've done and um there's no I mean there's there's nothing you have to say say to that really I just I appreciate it I appreciate the way you live your life and the way you view the world because it I don't know there's a quote and I I will absolutely butcher it because I can't remember it but it's something along the lines of if you have if you have helped at least one person breathe easier then, then you have succeeded. And yeah, it's like so, the butterfly effect. Exactly. Say, yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think if there's any purpose in life, that's it. That's, uh, it's, it's just trying to make this moment, the here and now as best as we can get it. And the world really is what you make it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm so grateful that you had me, and um, you know, I need to get used to in- <laughs> interviewing. I think. Uh- <laughs> yeah, you're you're definitely gonna have to get used to that. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited to first off thank you for being here and thank you for letting me interview you. This has been incredible, and second off, I'm I'm so excited to see what continues to happen for you. I mean, it's. Just, I'll, I'll share lots of your artwork as I, you know, as I post this interview and everything. And it's just for those listening, just look at his website because it's it really like I'm I'm not being effusive in the slightest when I say that it's extraordinary. Um, would you tell me your website so they can? Yeah, they can it's in the works of being completely redone right now. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if it'll work when people go to it, but. Uh, johncarmichael.com but John was, is with no H so J-O-N John, yeah, carmichael.com so, Perfect um, Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch again and um, August 21st, you can feel free to tell people to tune in somewhere and maybe uh, you'll see something cool happening from the eclipse the great American eclipse last year. So, um, yeah, I'm working on doing a really big launch for that. So I think that's why I'm trying to redo my old branding and stuff. I'm actually a little bit embarrassed about my website. So, <laughs> and all the photos are very low resolution, low quality. Cause I 
wanted to keep them protected, but you can get an idea, you know, there, yeah. so. <laughs> At least I was able to get, to get a very good idea, actually, so, yeah. Oh, thanks, yeah. Um, well, well, yeah, and, um, yeah, feel free, I have, uh, Instagram is, my Instagram is Carmichael Photography, um, Facebook, you know, whatever, so, um, I try to, I go in phases of social media, so you'll either find me active there or not. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're inactive, I I did a little bit of uh, Instagram stalking prior to this interview, and even if you're not active, there's some pretty pretty cool stuff there to look at. <laughs> but but anyways, thank thank you again for for being here today, and and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good, Paige. Thanks a lot. Good luck with uh, the rest of the podcast. I'll be listening. Thank you.